You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's the trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. Yes, if you drop the ball anywhere in the client experience from the first impression to the final payment, things get super messy super quickly. BuildBook has spent the past several months developing the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, add in sales tools so you can win the best projects, and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. If you're looking for an unfair advantage in your business, this is it. Head on over to buildbook.co now to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 26. So if you're still with us, we're kind of surprised at this point, but (laughs) Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. Wes, how's it going today? It's going great. Thanks, Spence. Good. Brooks, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good, Spence. Good. It's been a little while, I feel like, since we, we dug into... PPP and kind of there was a whole flurry, you know, when that first came out and a mad dash, everyone was running to their banks to get stuff done. But I know you guys have both been working with a couple of different banks and getting different updates and figured it'd be good to to kind of do an update and see where we're at. I know there's the whole forgiveness process that it was there and then it got extended and then, you know, who knows where we're at. So I guess, uh, <laughs> Brooks, to kick things off, I guess, what are you hearing about where we're at in this process right now? Well, Spence, I always believe in forgiveness. I well, think that's, that's good. Important. Yeah. In all walks of, you know, in all aspects of our life. Yes, especially um, with loans. Yeah. <laughs> especially with loans and large loans. And yeah. We're hearing all sorts of different things on forgiveness. We're hearing different things from our like our CPA, so approach you know that they're taking is is we have no idea what's going on. Don't do anything. Who knows what will happen? And most likely the sky is falling. So that's nice. That's, that's a good update. Well, yeah, I know so, it's, yeah. it's very helpful in your business life to have that as one of your. So the CPA is just saying, just wait, just sit back and and chill for a little bit. Yeah, so that's bit. one CPA. We have several CPAs. You know, so we have our personal CPAs, then we have our corporate CPAs and we have 
multiple CPAs, depending on, you know, Wes has a different CPA than we have. What I'm hearing is similar to what Brooks just said, except without the sky is falling apart, but it's more just the, the wait and see, because at this point, you know, you have to kind of go back and think about the PPP program and how it was developed and why it was developed. And it was very quick. You know, they really did put that legislation in like a week, uh, pretty, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. So, so with that, whenever you do something that quickly, there's going to be a lot of issues or things that haven't been able to be thought through thoroughly. And so the legislation was pitched over to the SBA. The SBA then spent time writing a bunch of rules to try to figure out how to to implement the program. So I think when they first rolled it out, there's it was kind of chaotic because there was a lot of need. You know, everyone was very needful of this, and especially small business, which most of the country is. That created some issues up front, just even getting in on the process and even understanding what the program was all about. So what they have continued to revise as we go through time is how does the forgiveness process work? You know, how do you calculate how the money is spent and what, what it can be spent for? And so all of that is still kind of up in the air as we come down to, so now we're recording this, what, you know, a couple of weeks or so before the election, and there's still legislation that, or they're hoping for legislative fixes to some of the issues. And the biggest issue really is around how do you deal from a tax standpoint with the loan forgiveness? So anyone who's listening to this who's got a PPP loan has probably already bumped into this or their CPA has brought it up. But what, what we're hearing is, is that if you took out a loan and let's just use a hypothetical, you took out a $100,000 loan and you use that money to pay employees, let's say, and the whole goal was to keep people working, right? So let's say you have a business where your revenue went away. And for the hypothetical, let's say your revenue went to zero and that you spent $100,000 retaining employees on staff to help them weather that period of time. And you expense that. If the loan is forgiven, the way the rules are written right now, my understanding from listening to our (laughs) various CPAs. Is that CPA one, two, or three? (laughs) (laughs) One is it? But simply is that you cannot... Because you use loan funds to pay payroll, you can't deduct that payroll as an expense, as a business expense. So let's say Hmm. zero revenue, $100,000 worth of expenses. Now you can't can't deduct that. So you're going to end up paying taxes on that amount, really. So let's say you're in 20% tax bracket, you're going to pay $20,000 in taxes And the benefit was really what it did is it it allowed you to keep people working. So the employees benefited, but as a business owner, if you didn't have any revenue to support that at all, then you had to come out of pocket for $20,000 in order to make that whole thing work. So I think that's the the crux of it. I don't know. Do you, is that about right Brooks from what you're hearing? Yeah, no, I agree. And so that's that the challenges when they did the, they did the program, you know, the IRS, you know, came in and said, oh, well, we're not going to allow to deduct these expenses. And that's not something they covered in the legislation. So that's part of the part of the challenge. Um, so everyone went out and got these loans because like, you got to get it, you got to get it. But then now people are going, oh, well, if I had, if I just used all those funds to support my staff, now I'm still on the hook for this chunk uh, in tax. Yeah. And so I think, 
what we don't really know, at least I'm unclear on, is whether it's going to be, well, number one, will there be a fix for that or will they just continue on and, and go forward with that? Most people are saying, well, we think there'll be some sort of a fix, but I don't know whether that fix will be a legislative fix. So we're having to wait for the legislature to do something which could get tied up with the election and, you know, any folder all that happens after the election. So we don't know that. Or is it going to be an SBA rulemaking fix, you know, them working with the IRS or who knows? So it's still kind of a, it's kind of a mess. I mean, you know, not a huge mess, but I mean, it is, it's unclear. And so I think most people are holding off on applying for forgiveness because it's also unclear if you apply for forgiveness and then they change the rule after your loan was forgiven, would that be a retro, a <laughs> retro fix, right? Or yeah. so anyway, it's, it is. A little- I don't know the exact date, you know, for when, when the loan forgiveness would expire, when you could apply. So I, there was a date of when you could start to apply for forgiveness. So I'm not sure. So 10 months, the latest thing I heard was okay. 10 months from the date of loan inception funding loan is, uh, is loan. how long you had until you could apply or you could apply up until 10 up months. Until that, Got that's, it. that's the last thing I, I thought I heard is you have up until 10 months. So like all these things, you know, go, if you've got a PPP loan, go back to your lender, go back to your accountant and check all the experts. We're just kind of spitballing here, but this is kind of right. what, what we've been hearing. Based on what so there is, it seems like contract. there's some time. It seems like there's some time to, to work it out. And, yeah, but I guess I'd definitely check on that for sure. It's like, hey, when, when would be the last day I could apply for forgiveness? And that's kind of your, right. your time frame. But I think one thing that, that no one was counting on really as we roll here and through the fall is that the, the impacts of the pandemic have been so long lasting. It's like, oh, well, we're going to do this for eight weeks. And then they did a 24 week period to use the funds, you know, once you receive your loan, but you know, these impacts are much longer lasting than that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if there's any more stimulus money that will be coming out, you know, anything like that. Otherwise, I think all this money from the government has helped prop up the economy to a you know, pretty good extent, um, especially with the Fed. But now, as that money has run out, are we going to see this big drop-off in economic activity? You know, as you, as you think about people that have lost their jobs, but were able to get unemployment and the extra supplemental. And as that runs out, and then they're going, oh, now I'm living off my savings again. I don't have, I don't have a new job. I'm a little concerned about what will happen over the next quarter from that standpoint. We'll have to, to wait and see. Yeah. And you said this has probably helped prop up the economy. I hear some people talk about, well, you know, the stock market isn't the economy either. You know, the stock market has been doing well. And so it is almost like a guy's that's kind of saying, well, like that appears to be going well. Stocks are way up. But then there's really a lot of the small businesses and some of these other companies that aren't public that are really hurting, but it's maybe being overshadowed and not focused on enough just because, you know, all the the gains that have been made in the stock market. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I'd agree with that to a certain extent, but they have shown that the savings rate has gone up over the summer um, as people receive these larger checks and that consumer debt has not grown. And if anything, it's dropped a little bit. So I guess we'll have to watch those two numbers and see what happens. 
you know, as we go through towards the end of the year. So I think some of those things point to the fact that it did have a, a pretty positive effect in helping people stay, stay afloat. And, you know, our employment rate has gotten a lot better since the 13 or 14% that it was. Yes, yeah, it'll be interesting if it's, you know, it's seven or, you know, seven, eight or nine percent unemployment, whether that's kind of where we're going to sit for a while, you know, for a couple of years until, you know, things get improved. Yeah, right. yeah. there's a real interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. It's something about, you know, the impact of the pandemic through 2024. Yeah, it's called the long shadow, the long shadow of the pandemic 2024 and beyond. And and basically what they're saying in the, the article is that it's divided up into three parts, which is kind of your immediate pandemic response and then your intermediate period, which runs out a couple of years and then post-pandemic. And they put post-pandemic about 2024. But over the next couple of years, to Brooks's point, people are going to be figuring out new businesses, new business models. Some old businesses will go away. How we do business may or just even our social patterns and everything could change permanently. And then, you know, as we get vaccines and we figure out how to live with the, with the virus, then we'll all of a sudden, we'll kind of pop out of this about 2024 and then Four years all bets are off, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and then they're saying, hey, spending should be pretty liberal. People go, oh, good. I survived this. You know, good times are here again. And, and so we should see kind of a big spike. Oh, kind of an interesting analysis. But if you're a small business, you have to survive for right. probably two to three years, to, which is very similar to a lot of cycles where if you run a small business over a 10-year cycle, you have two or three great years, you have three or four bad years, and you have three or four years like, oh, okay, you know, this is all yeah. right. And this is a pretty, pretty dramatic downturn like the depression or the great recession. So you, if you're kind of on that. So what do you thing, think, Brooks? I mean, should people be business owners? Should they be looking out and going, is, is my business, not their specific business, but there is my industry, is it going to be around? Is it going to change four years out? And if the answer is no, you know, should you be working now in some way to figure out, oh, I need to get into something new altogether? I always approached it that way. It's like, oh, well, I wonder if this, in, you know, the industry I'm in, in construction or whatever, or the niche I'm in, is that how long will that last? In thinking about that, yeah, in trying to adapt, yeah, because if you're looking out there, going, well, it is hard to know because if you're kind of pessimistic, you could look at something and say, oh, well, this is not going to last. I should just move on to something else. If you're optimistic, you could be like, oh, this will be fine. It'll grow. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. Where it's like, you know, maybe I'll be in the construction business, but I'll be in a different part of the construction business or a different, you know, maybe we won't be focusing all on kitchens. It'll be some other aspect. Yeah. Though, though amazingly enough, so far, you know, construction, at least residential construction remodeling, oh, held up through, through, the roof, through the roof. So, you know, it's certainly a blessing for the, the folks that are probably listening to this podcast. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I was thinking about our one of our last conversations where we were talking about there aren't any public remodeling companies. And one of the articles I was reading, I think it was also from the, the journal, but it was companies with less than 100 employees used to make up 40% of people employed. And that was, I think, the late 80s. And then today or more current, it's 33%. So it's dropped quite a bit. 
However, I was going to see, you know, Brooks, you said you're kind of always forecasting, like, will the industry be around? What, like, will it change? Will it just look different? What do you think, you know, for a lot of, you know, remodeling companies, they're not public, they're small, they're local, they're family run. What do you think that they should be thinking about over the next, you know, three, four years? Is it still viable? Everything seems really strong right now. Do you see any changes? I would focus on, yeah, if you're in a, if you're, if you, know, you always have to look at, you know, job growth in your area, what's going on with home values, home values going up because job growth is really going to drive home values, home ownership, people's ability to remodel, you know, you know, how much are home values going up and it allows people to access equity. You know, interest rates are really low right now and they probably will be for the next two or three years, which allows people to tap into equity and borrow to do remodels. So I would be looking at trying to capture, you know, build upon your brand, build upon your, you know, if you have a family brand, if you have your your local business, build on that brand and continue to just try to capture more market share while other people are kind of falling off. So there's going to be a lot of remodelers for maybe one or two people and they just kind of lose, lose energy, lose hope. They're just like, well, this is getting tiring and they're going to, they move on and there's opportunities to capture their market share. So I would be, you know, kind of have my elbows out and be like, okay, I'm going to go out and get as much market share as I can while things are good and, you know, push other people out. And then when things get slower, you just have more market share. The more time I spend in the marketing business, the more I realize that marketing isn't just about your website, signage, social media, and print collateral. Marketing really sits across every part of your business. It starts with your brand, your signs, your website, but it continues on through the sales process. How you present yourself and your company on a sales call incorporates marketing. And just as importantly, how you deliver your service to your client is marketing. The feelings that they have in the middle and the end of the project are big factors in determining whether they will spread the word about you. At the end of the day, marketing across the entire customer lifecycle is really tough. That's why I love what BuildBook is up to. They've been working hard to bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Their new tools start on the marketing side, continue into the sales conversation, and finish with the project. Get these three elements working together and your business will be humming along. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. If you're aiming for the trifecta of the construction business, head on over to buildbook.co to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. So Wes, what do you think about the next few years? You know, how should remodeling companies be positioning themselves? Well, once again, because the market's pretty strong, I guess I would recommend cleaning up things as much as you possibly can. So, you know, it's really easy when times are good and you're super busy running around to let things get a little ragged and rough around the edges. You know, your customer service falls off. You know, you're not as good following up on your warranty. You're not communicating with your clients as much, all of those types of things. And so you have to fight against that, even if it means you're going to do a little bit less business. I would urge everyone to be really working on their systems at this point and being super sharp in their operations. And so I think that'll lead to what Brooks was talking about earlier, which is you will start to naturally grow your market share as your competitors in the space don't do 
as good of a job in that area as say you are. So let's say they're so busy that they're not, you know, updating their clients on their projects or they're having trouble getting their subs in. And, you know, it's just kind of a little bit of a train wreck, you know, timelines are stretching out an extra month or two months on projects. So if you can maintain a super high level of performance during that period, and either it's because you are taking fewer jobs, trying to make more money on those jobs, do a better job with those jobs, then you'll, I think you'll come out of this even stronger because I think some of those folks will fall away due to the fact that the market is super strong. Yeah, it's interesting. The the article was talking about just how COVID could be destroying small business. And I think that's a, you know, kind of a blanket statement, but we've certainly seen a lot of smaller local businesses go out. I think they said maybe 20% and they they may not come back, you know, and people have definitely turned to, you know, e-commerce and online shopping for a lot of those types of, you know, little retail stores. It's going to be tough for them to to come back. I don't know. What what do you think globally this does for residential construction? I know we kind of talked about what you should be doing, but do you think that we will see a push towards consolidation? And will we see some public companies popping up in the next four, six, eight years? Or do you think it will look pretty similar? Brooks, do you have any strong thoughts I on think, that? I'd just be really surprised if somehow you went to a public remodeling company, but it, you know anything can happen. If, there's, if capital is chasing a return and someone can make a case for a great return and they can sell that idea, you know, no reason it couldn't happen. For sure, whether it you know it's not going to be an exit strategy for any any of us in the remodeling business, or maybe it would be in in new home construction or or development. But I think that look, what's his point, which is for the next four or five years, focusing on your markup, your margins, you know, tuning up your systems while you have the opportunity. I think that's a great opportunity, and there's going to be opportunities in. There's a huge shortage of housing across the country. And there's a huge shortage of affordable housing. And we're not producing enough units of any type of housing. We're just short. And that continues. So, which is a great thing from the standpoint of if you're a remodeler or you're a builder, because there's just uh, not enough product. And so, there's not going to be an oversupply, which is kind of an amazing thing. So, if you can think of ways that in, in your neighborhoods or your, in your town or city, you know, what are the markets that are in short supply and maybe you know, maybe you're able to do remodeling for a uh, affordable housing. You know, maybe there's some nonprofits that are doing things. So there's going to be new opportunities, you know, to work and to use your business. You just have to keep your eyes open to what they might be that might be different. You might say, gee, there's a huge opportunity to repurpose apartment buildings for affordable housing and apartment buildings are right now relatively, you know, easy to get a hold of in my market. You know, maybe that's another thing you do. You you redo apartment buildings and then you sell them to could be an affordable housing entity or you sell them to a private investor. So there's different things you can do. I don't know if that answered your question or not. You answered it, but then pivoted to like, hey, wh- what can you do if things change? And I think that's you know something that you guys have always brought up on these episodes is kind of having your eyes up during challenging times and looking for those opportunities. Uh, Wes, you were going to jump in. Well, I just think as human beings, we tend to extrapolate and think very much in a linear 
fashion. And so what that can lead us to is the, the belief that things will continue on the same way or they'll continue on in a, in a progression that makes rational sense. And I think if anything else, the pandemic is just a reminder that, yeah, that's certainly not the case and you can't plan for those things. So if you can't forecast those things, then all you can really do as a business owner is tighten everything up. And, you know, right now I'd be banking cash as fast as I could because that gives you the flexibility that you need. So I would definitely be looking at that and trying to build cash reserves right now because it is fairly uncertain. And we have some good ideas, you know, about different directions that things might go, but we don't know which direction that they will go. So if you've got cash on board, you'll be able to respond. You'll be able to survive to the next, the next thing and be able to take advantage of those opportunities that present themselves. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I know uh, back to the PPP loans for, for a minute, I feel like when, the, when everything came out and everyone's going for loans and stuff and then all, all the, these kind of larger companies that took some funds and then they gave funds back, it was like, oh, do they really need them or should they have gotten access to it? I think one of the questions that we kind of just were roundtabling on was who should have gotten that? Was it companies that were showing losses and that really need it? Was it certain industries that were getting hammered? And so I guess that one question I have is, you know, Brooks, do you think they're going to do another round? And if so, you know, are they going to tighten, you know, are they going to change a whole lot? Have you heard anything about that or? Well, let me, let me blow some mist across behind me and I'll look into my crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? Right, Yeah. (laughs) Get out the crystal ball and, and take some stabs. My understanding is there's still PPP loan funds. Well, right. I think it's 130, what's it? Billion left? (laughs) (laughs) 130-something, yeah. Was that pennies or, yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's still, I mean, who knows how much has been used up since then. I think if you go back to the PPP, if you weren't able to get a PPP loan in the first or second round and you're feeling like I could use some more capital, I definitely would be applying for it if you don't have one already, yeah. for sure. I think it's worth it. It's worth the kind of the effort to, if you don't have a banking relationship, to create a banking relationship to go and do that exercise. And you know maybe you get a couple hundred grand or something. And I think that's worth it to know how to do it. And most likely they'll figure out the deductions and it'll be a benefit you know, to the company. Mm-hmm. I think they should do more stimulus because I think that we've, as we discussed, or as we were you know, the PPP loans probably didn't get to everybody that really needed them. Right. You know, yeah, I, got I to would people agree that with like, that. Yeah, this is, this is helpful. This is good. But you know how difficult it is to get a loan. And you might try, but if you're running your business and, and it's so difficult and the banks tell you no, and, and you're like, well, whatever. You know, so I think the mandate would be do more stimulus mandate to the SBA and the banks, which is, you know, you go out and find the 10 or 20 or 30 most neediest businesses in your community and you approach them and say, Hey, we could make you a loan. Yeah. I think that's a good idea because I think one of the articles that we were reading talked about how banks were pretty much because of the speed of the program, they had been advised it would be better from a, a vetting standpoint to go to their current customer base and loan to their current customer base. And I, I know Initially, when we were looking at the PPP loan and I was calling around to some different banks and 
And that was kind of the message, which is, oh, oh, okay, well, you know, do you have a banking relationship with us? And so if you don't have a strong banking relationship, you know, for those small business owners, you know, let's say somebody maybe who owns a salon or, you know, just they may not have a, a banking relationship in the way we might think about a banking relationship in, in our industry. So that would mean the money wouldn't have gone to them in the first round. They would hopefully gotten it in the second or third round, but if they got discouraged or didn't hear about it. I, I mean, we, when we I like that proactive approach. Yeah, I think proactively, again, it goes yeah. back to one of our earlier episodes, which is create a banking relationship, have a banking relationship because it creates that opportunity when something, you know, who would have thought that a banking, having a strong banking relationship matters as much as it did. And then when the, the stimulus came out, it's like, oh, this is critical because we worked diligently with two different, our two different banks that we have relationships with. And one bank was, yeah, you've got kind of have a relationship with us, but not the way we're going to define it. So, hmm, no. We wasted how many weeks with that, Wes? We wasted yeah. two, three weeks during you know the crisis. And then finally, we switched to our other bank, which had a different set of parameters about, and it kind of goes back to this whole existing relationship. And yeah, how no, I think each that? bank, I think each bank heard what the government was saying and they, you know, obviously they're they're gonna try to interpret it to what they feel the government was suggesting at the time. And, and for a lot of them, they're like, well, no, okay. You've got to be, you know, <laughs> they had these criteria about what your yeah. banking relationship lo- would look like. Oh, you do all of your business with us or, you know, different things like that. So Brooks, what did you learn about how they defined that relationship? I mean, you said the one kind of was like, eh, nope, but obviously well, you I do was, some I business would, with them. <laughs> well, one, two different banks, one a regional bank, one a, a national bank. Regional bank, who I would have said had I had my better relationship with, that's where my private banking is, everything like that. I thought, well, fine, I'll just call them up and we're doing loans. Nope because I didn't have a large enough borrowing relationship. So again, to uh, the point, the, that bank set their criteria and they were scrambling to decide what their criteria was. So I was talking to our private banker twice a day and they were scrambling around going, well, we don't really know what we're going to do yet. So they're trying to keep everybody at bay yeah. and everyone's freaking out because they don't know how bad the pandemic is going to be. And finally it came down and we had already switched to the other bank when we realized like, oh, this isn't going to work. And luckily the national bank, their criteria we met, but we could very easily have been out of luck. And, ha- and then we would have just been on the street going, okay, well now what do we do? Right. So yeah. yeah how would you recommend people go going forward in establishing or building those relationships? Was there any like recipe you uncovered or is it just I probably would say uh, had um, two banking relationships. <laughs> yeah, increase your odds. Increase your odds. I think like all these things, right? So make sure you have deposit accounts, make sure you get some a checking account and make sure you have a lending facility set up with them. So which can be a credit card line of credit. Could be a credit card. Yeah, or credit card, could be a credit card, could be a line of credit, anything like that. You could take out a loan. Even if you don't need it, and just repay the loan over time, but you know, there's a number of different things you could do to kind of make sure you're checking all the boxes, and that's about it. Make, make make sure they're an SBA lender. Yeah, right. Mm, yeah, never thought of that. 
right? You know? Then that's a good point. Yeah, that was a big one this time around. And I mean, there's no way to predict what, you know, what the well, next crazy yeah, but, thing will be, but, but those know, are good steps. You wouldn't have thought, you know, make sure your bank's FDIC insured. Well, that's something you learned from the depression and you don't keep more than 250 grand in a bank. And just, that's just something you learned from the depression. You'll never True. forget that. Right. And so people right. now are like, well, what's FDIC insured? Well, it's kind of something that's so important that you do, you do that. And so that's something to think about. So maybe having your, make sure your banks and SBA lenders important now, and it may be important, you know, going forward. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, each time you go through this, you just add one more thing to your, you know, <laughs> checklist and you know. age comes experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Wes, what takeaways do you have for everybody after kind of bouncing around the, the PPP topic once again? Oh, I, I don't know that I have anything that's worth sharing, but I just got to go back to those old saws, which is you got to be ready for, for downturns. You got to be ready for opportunities. So continue to make sure that you have a good cash pool, make sure you have good lending facilities, that you do have a relationship with the bank. Some of those things that we talked about today, and then just continue to work on your system. Make sure that the product you're offering is something that's in, in high demand and you're able to produce it efficiently. How about you, Brooks? Do the same. I tell you, those are just things you just have to, it's boring, but it's what you need to do. You, yeah. you want to be successful. Cool. We'll keep you guys posted on all the stuff we don't know and uh, over the next several weeks and see how this shakes out. But I don't know, for me, hearing you guys talk, big takeaways are always, hey, residential construction, super strong right now. Like get good margins, be choosier on your projects, bank the cash and get ready, you know, for, for whatever's next. And there will probably be a lot of stuff happening over the next couple of months and then you'll be, you'll be more prepared. So thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll see you next week here on building a family business on builder funnel radio. Mm-hmm.